0: Welcome to the Visualize You show. I'm your host Beth Hewitt and each week on the show we'll talk about how you can live, love and visualize the life and business of your dreams. I'll bring you interviews with inspirational people who have taken that path already so that you can learn the practical skills that will help you to do the same. Let me help you to recognize your self-worth, honor your skills and become confident being who you're always supposed to be. Now let's get on with the show you're listening to the very best of the visualize you show to celebrate my second year of podcasting i'm counting down the top 30 episodes celebrating my amazing guests and just how much fun i've had over the last two years At number nine is a guest expert training from Lynn Power called How to Get Hydrated Hair Care and the Importance of Self-Awareness. Welcome to the Visualize You podcast. I'm your host, Beth Hewitt. I'm a spiritual performance coach helping you go from unfulfilled to passionately living your purpose. You'll learn how to create a crystal clear vision for your life so that you can change direction with confidence and have a career or start a business that is more in alignment with your true soul's calling. Each week on the show, I'll talk about topics such as the art of visualization, scripting, manifesting, and the law of attraction. And I'll bring you interviews with inspirational people who have taken that path already, so you can learn the practical skills that will help you do the same. Welcome to another episode of Visualize You. Lynn, thank you for being here today. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm
1: happy to be here.
0: So I'd like to start just finding out a little bit more about your journey. So where it all started for you and how you ended up doing what it is that you're doing today.
1: Like most people, well, actually, I don't know. I shouldn't say it that way. I was going to say my journey has uh, been a little circuitous. It hasn't been a straight line for me. I actually was an English criminal justice major in college, which has nothing to do with what I do now (laughs) whatsoever. I had like for maybe a year of my life, I was thinking of being a lawyer, which was for me, if anyone knows me is like really a bad idea because I just would not have enjoyed it at all. And I think I realized that. And then I decided when I was probably a junior in college that I wanted to go in the FBI. And I actually went through the whole process of applying and there was a hiring freeze. They basically told me, check back in six months. After I graduated from school, I was living with my parents. So the idea of (laughs) waiting six months for potentially to be told to wait another six months, I just wasn't going to do that. So I ended up, I ended up getting a job in advertising. I interviewed, well, actually, I met a recruiter who basically said to me, you're going to go on this job interview and get this job. And I was like, Okay. And she sent me on the interview and it was for a receptionist for a small agency. And they hired me on the spot because I think I was like, I had a pulse. I could speak. <laughs> it wasn't exactly like... You could pick up the phone. Yeah, I could pick up the phone. I could say, I could, uh, you know, direct it to the right person. So they were like, yeah, you could do the job. So they hired me. But I found that I really loved the creative environment, mm-hmm. using creativity as a business tool. And I was a receptionist for maybe six months and then they promoted me into account management and I worked on the Pizza Hut account and I worked at that agency for three years and I really loved it. And so I felt like I found my niche. And from there, I ended up moving to New York and staying in advertising for pretty much my whole career mm-hmm. which was really great for a long time until it really wasn't great anymore <laughs> and the reason i'm saying that is because i i was the ceo of a large agency j walter thompson new york mm-hmm. is York's the headquarters. It's a $2 billion agency, the oldest ad agency in the world, or at least it was. It's no longer around because they merged the J. Walter Thompson brand with another brand. So it technically doesn't exist anymore. But I was dealing with a very public me too situation. My global boss, the global CEO had been accused of all these things. And that lawsuit went on for about two years. And I was dealing with it pretty much the whole time. So that was not fun. And I also realized as you get more senior in these positions, your job changes dramatically. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like the stuff that I loved when I got in the business was, like I said, creativity and thinking about it from a business lens and solving problems and working with clients. And then when you become the CEO and you're managing an agency, you're just dealing with the problems. But You're not doing the fun stuff. You're basically dealing with, oh, this person is quitting. We have to give them a raise immediately or they're going to walk out the door. Yeah. Or, oh, this client's unhappy. There's just always something. And then I had the lawsuit on top of that and I realized I was not having fun. So I decided after doing it for so long, I'm like, there's really nowhere else for me to go in this business. I don't want to take another CEO job because it's the same thing. And I've always wanted to do my own thing. I just never had the opportunity, like the right moment. And my parents are entrepreneurs. So I grew up in a very sort of entrepreneurial household and I decided to leave, it was about two and a half years ago. And I actually started a brand consultancy and was working with a number of startups, helping them with their brand positioning and brand strategy, which was for me, super fulfilling, like really fun because a lot of the startups, if they don't have a marketing background, the founders, a lot of them are engineers, technical people, they don't build the brand thinking about the brand, they'll launch a product and, and they think everyone loves the product, but they don't think about all oh, the brand positioning, the brand narrative, how to tell the story. I was working with a number of founders who had gotten themselves in this position where they'd been, they put a product on the market and two years later, it's the dog's breakfast in terms of the communication because they're just all over the place. They didn't have a focus. So helping them with that. And that was super fun. I was really enjoying that. And then I met my hair care partner, James, who I actually met through my husband. And this is the way that the universe works, I feel like. (laughs) (laughs) So my husband was also in advertising at the time, and James was working on his team on the Global Citibank account, which was a huge team. And James says to Bill, my husband... Hey, I've been working on this side project, the side hustle for 10 years. I've been working on these hair care formulations. I think I have them done, but I don't know what to do next. I'm not sure what to do. He's a producer at heart, James. Yeah. He's not a branding marketing person. My husband was like, I've never worked in beauty, but Lynn has. <laughs> Why do not you talk to her? Cause he's right. I've done tons of beauty in my career. I've worked on L'Oreal's hair products. I've done Nexus, Clinique, Vichy, a bunch of stuff. So he connects me with James And I immediately am super skeptical because my husband has a track record of introducing people to me like to hire and then I end up firing them. So, yeah, it's a thing. So he wants me to meet James and I'm thinking, I really don't have an hour to waste, but fine, I'll do it. And what happened was I decided, okay, instead of just doing a boring meeting, they're going to come over to my apartment for dinner, James and his husband, Masa. To really get to know them. Yeah. I'm going to get to know them, right? It'll at least be fun. If the business idea is not good, at least hopefully we'll have a fun time. So they come over and I had not met them before. And I immediately love them because they love my dogs. They both went up to my dog. At the time, I had two dogs. One has since passed. And they both just went to my dogs and just were giving them so much love. And I love people that love dogs because I actually realized that I like dogs most than, mm-hmm. more than most people anyway. <laughs> so they, they were just amazing. So when they walked in, I'm like, okay, they're dog people. And then we ended up having a really awesome conversation over dinner where they just took me through the whole story of how James created these products. He worked on the formulations for 10 years. He found this ingredient in Japan through his husband, Masa, who's from Japan. He's from this little tiny town called Atsuchi in Northeast Japan. And James would go back to Masa's hometown and these people... Masa's family and the people there would be eating and using this ingredient called makabu, just like a staple in their diet, the way we would eat you know, avocado toast. James thought, okay, they're so healthy there. They have the longest life expectancy in the world. There's something going on. I need to figure this out. So he started playing around with the ingredient and using it in formulations. And I think most people know that seaweed, like intuitively seaweed is good for you do that, but he, did, he wasn't exactly sure like what it was going to do in your hair, but it turns out his intuition was fantastic because it actually acts as a sponge and brings a lot of uh, moisture, hydration to your hair, which is the number one problem people have. So it was like, he didn't quite know that's the thing he was solving, but he was solving and it turned out to be a, a really important and big thing. So he's telling me all the story and I'm getting hooked, right? At this point, I'm wow, this is sounding actually really interesting And then he gave me the products to try and I was like totally sold after that because I've worked on a lot of crappy products. Meaning- You have to make
0: them look good in the the work that you do. Yeah.
1: Correct. And most of the products that I worked on, now in hindsight, I didn't know it at the time, but they had a lot of toxic stuff in them. Mm -hmm. In the US, I don't know in the UK, I haven't done the research there, but in the US, 90% of hair care products still have sulfates, phthalates or Mm -hmm. parabens in them. So the majority of the market is still toxic.
0: We're using them day in, day out as well. We don't realize what we do into our body. Yeah. And hair.
1: Well, we're using them. And not only that, but like people don't realize when they're shampooing, they're actually like rubbing it into their scalp, which is one of the most absorbent parts of your body. Right. So if you think about it, you're basically putting the toxins right (laughs) right into your body. So at the time that I worked on L'Oreal, gosh, at this point, it was, I don't know how long ago, 15 years ago, but people weren't aware. Like it just wasn't, we never talked about that. The whole idea of these toxic ingredients never came up with any of our conversations with the clients. It was Mm -hmm. all about which celebrity are they going to sign. That was who's going to
0: endorse the product. And endorse
1: the product. That was like the big thing. But no one ever talked about the fact of there's stuff in there. So James was way ahead of the curve because he figured out 10 years ago that you really want to make products that are as good for you as possible and clean as possible. The challenge in hair care is when you try to do that, yeah. most of the products don't perform very well. So he wanted to create products that took out the bad stuff, but, but were really high performing and had all the hydration and had all the, the good stuff in it. So that's why it took him so long. Is
0: that typical though for a product such as yours? To have that amount of research behind it, because that's a really big thing, isn't it? That you've, you've actually got all the science behind it.
1: I would say it depends on the business and category you're mm-hmm. in. I think in our case, hair care has lagged skincare. Like skincare, now I think you could go online or into a bunch of stores and find lots of clean skincare options. There just are way more. Mm-hmm. And people have, they feel like because you're, Rubbing it on your skin and it's absorbing in. You're not rinsing it off. People, I think, had more of an intuitive like uh, reaction to wanting clean skincare. So hair care has been lagging behind because people have this perception that oh, you're, you're just washing it you're, off. you're just... washing it off. It's uh-huh. not staying on there. And also, a lot of people have also figured out you don't need to wash your hair every day. You might use it twice a week. Some people once a week. I talked to a woman the other day who washes her hair once every four weeks.
0: Oh my goodness me.
1: Yeah, I know. That's not me. But, I was freaking
0: out today thinking I should have washed my hair last night before this interview. But,
1: um... Oh, you're funny. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, this, I'm more old school about it. I like to wash my hair more frequently, but, but it's also because my hair is really thin and flat. And if I don't wash, it, it'll look greasy. So anyway, hair care has been a harder category to figure out the clean thing because consumers, at least in the U.S., are used to the bad stuff, adding Mm -hmm. performance cues, meaning sulfates provides the sudsing experience and people associate suds with clean, even though the suds are actually detergent and they're not very good for you. So what we had to do, it's really hard to change people's minds and change behavior. So one of the things James figured out, which I thought was really smart is that we have to still have some suds. We can't take them out completely. I've tried some of the cream products that don't suds at all. And it feels weird. And, yeah. I, know better, and no? I think as
0: customers, we're con- conditioned, pardon the pun around that, but we're, we're kind of conditioned that actually, when you wash your hair, there should be some kind of right? foam. So to take right. that out completely, you'd be like, mm, is this, is this quite right?
1: Is it working? Is it uh-huh. leaving residue? Like you just feel like it's, so we decided to create low foam formulas. So they're not no foam.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They're still a little bit, but they're low foam. And we found alternative ingredients that provide that experience, but it was quite difficult to find those ingredients and um, make sure they're EU compliant because we follow EU standards instead of US. It, in the US, there's only a handful of ingredients that everyone can agree on are bad. And then there's a lot of things that you get very different points of view. In the EU, there's a long, I think it's like about 1,500 ingredients. So we decided to follow that because it's just way ahead of the curve from the US.
0: And as a premium brand, that's really your USP, isn't it? In terms of
1: what you're able to deliver? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so I met James and I think a part of when you're going into business with somebody, it's, do you get on, right? Like Mm -hmm. chemistry, is it going to be a good partnership? And you have to assess all that side of it too, beyond the product being good, which I already knew it was, but it was one of those times in your life, like James and I, and he's a quirky bird. and, And I mean that with love, like he's a very intense personality. But we're quite similar in a good way and in, in, in that we have a passion for doing thing, creating things that are good for you. And we just got on really well. And now it's, we're like family. It's just, it's a really good partnership. And I think the other thing that makes it great is we're complimentary. I always tell founders, if they're looking for another founder, don't clone yourself. Don't find somebody that's exactly like you because you're just going to step on each other's toes.
0: Yeah. Cause I suppose there's that tendency sometimes to maybe gravitate to maybe a friend or somebody you've worked yeah. with previously where you, that you get on, but also you might have those similarities and actually that's not what you need is that you need complementary skills and experiences.
1: That's right. That and you I don't have that's... or that
0: we don't have as individuals. Correct.
1: Yeah. I think that's super important. And I think I, it's a big mistake. I see a lot of founders mm-hmm. make when they bring in a partner and they're not aligned on the vision and they're too similar in what they It just worked out that James' strength is really in the innovation side and in production, and he's really good at sourcing our bottles and materials and things like that. And my strength is the business and the branding and the marketing. Yeah, it's like a Venn diagram. And in Uh the middle... We share the vision and the values of the company that we're super aligned on. So there's never any argument about that whatsoever. It's we both completely buy into what we're trying to build. And so it makes it just so much easier because we're not fighting about stuff. We're just supporting each other. And, and then I think the other piece is once you have your founders in place, then it's okay, what else do you need on the team? What other capabilities do you need to round it out? And I always tell people, You have to be really self-aware. It helps to be a more experienced founder in my case, because I've had a lot of years to know what I like to do and what I don't like Mm -hmm. to do. And I am very clear about the stuff I really don't enjoy. Like I'm not really good at the analytics. I don't really like to dig into the finances. I have other people that do that stuff for me. So when it comes to more operational stuff, that's not my strength but I bring in people in the team that know how to do it. And yeah. um, so I think that self-awareness of what you like to do, what you're good at, and then what you need is also critical when you're starting a business because you just need to be honest. I think that's
0: so important to be honest with yourself, you? and I think it's just imp- it is so important to know yourself and your own strengths and weaknesses so you can bring the right people in. I think sometimes there's a tendency, especially when you are starting up and you're a young business, that you want to do everything yourself. And it, it does feel, it is your baby a little bit. And it does feel like it's difficult to delegate some of those responsibilities, but we, we can't do, we can't do everything.
1: <laughs> we can't do everything. And, and it's impossible. And marketing has become so complicated these days. Launching a business. It's all
0: encompassing, isn't it? It's just.
1: yeah. It's both easier and harder. It's easier to launch a website because you can go on Shopify like we did and build your own website, which we did. We did it ourselves, Right. had to hire a coder for a tiny bit of work. It costs, the whole thing costs us maybe $500 to do our website, which it used to be. I used to be in the business of basically offering the services to companies to do that. And it would be a hundred thousand dollars to build a website. It was like, that's what it used to cost. And so now certain things have become way easier, but other things have become way harder. Like Mm -hmm. it's just so much harder to stay on top of the digital ecosystem because it's always changing and evolving and the algorithms are changing for whether it's Google or Amazon or Instagram or TikTok or whatever, that I always have to say to people, you're going to go crazy if you try to be the expert in everything. You just can't. You have to pick your lanes and you have to bring in other people who can be the experts in those things. Because if it's just enough to be dangerous, which I do a lot of times, that's not always great because you'll make decisions that seem like they're the right decisions. And then you end up backtracking sometimes, yeah. which has happened to us. Cause I have to sometimes remind myself to let my, let my digital person figure some of this out. And, and sometimes I get so excited that I'll just jump in and do it. And then I realize, oh, that was stupid. Like, let her do it. So while we're talking about marketing then, cause I, um, I read, I think it was
0: on your HMS Beagle website around that you have a zero budget approach to marketing for this company, new company. And that's quite a unique way of approaching things. Not everybody would maybe as brave to do that maybe, but I think you're focusing more on influences and
1: and doing things slightly differently. Yeah. So the zero based marketing approach is actually something that my partner and I've been talking, my partner on the HMS Beagle, Mm -hmm. which is the brand consultancy have been putting in place and talking about for several years. And he actually wrote a book about it, but it was interesting now for me for my own business to actually put that in place because it 's one thing to advise other companies on that, but then do it myself and we literally have no money i don 't have any investment money we 're self funded so it is a different approach it 's basically using your current customers to get more and it 's really building the business from the grassroots up so we do tons of content, tons of social we 're really active on all the channels obviously i 'm doing things like podcasts because the beauty of a podcast is you get to tell the whole story. It's not just a little sound bite where mm-hmm. you're dropping an image on Instagram and hoping people get it. So we're trying a lot of different approaches like that to see what sticks, but it is very much zero-based marketing.
0: <laughs> hey listener, how would you like to spend a whole 30 days with me learning how to bring more positivity into your life? In the 30-Day Gratitude Journey Experience, you remember who you are, you recognize your superpowers, identify your zone of genius, and create a vision for your life and business that you'll be so excited to make a reality. To find out more, head to
1: bethhewitt.com forward slash gratitude. I have no money. And I do think it's, it takes a lot of work. Yeah. Because you're doing a lot of content creation yourself. You're doing a lot of Tweaking to your platforms. It's not like you can just put stuff out there and hope that people will show up and come to your website. You know right. what I mean?
0: Yeah, I think I suppose it, it means that you have to be a lot more focused in what your intention is and what your outcome is that you're trying to achieve. But I do like the personable approach. You can get your story across and you can work yeah. with people who have genuinely used your products and services and, uh, and given genuine and honest reviews. So I just think it's a, a, a really Unique and brave approach. But I think putting in all of that work, I think it, it will pay dividends in the long run. And I've seen you've done lots of different podcasts and things. It's obviously, great to be yeah. out there.
1: Well, it's interesting. Even some of the podcast hosts that I've met are now MossMe lovers. Like they've used the products uh-huh. and they love them. It is like winning people over one at a time, which takes a longer time. But I think as a result, those people are stronger advocates. They have a stronger commitment. And, a, and I have a few clients or customers who will never use anything else. Like they're so hardcore about Masami and they love it and just works for them. Depends on your hair type. And it depends if you're, some people just can't get over the idea of paying $38 for a mm-hmm. bottle of shampoo. But other people look at it and they're like, I was buying Living Proof or R&Co or Biogio anyway. And those are in that same price range. And this is a better product. It just depends on your mindset, really.
0: Absolutely. So talk to us through your career journey. I think I read somewhere that you also said that you are a connector of dots. Yes. So what does that mean to you? Because I've got my views of what that means to me, but I'd be interested to know what that Yeah,
1: means. I love that you asked that. I really think that's a superpower skill uh-huh. these days is the way I think about it. And I actually think it's the new form of creativity because creativity has evolved. It's no longer just coming up with something in a vacuum and putting out in the world and Mm -hmm. having a great brand idea. So when I talk about dot connecting, what I'm really good at is taking a conversation like you and I are having and linking it to something random. Like I'll be having another conversation with somebody tomorrow and I'll go, oh God, I was just on this podcast. And uh, and then before I know it, I'm introducing you to this person and, and creating yeah. a whole new ecosystem. And I, I do that quite a bit. And and it actually, for me, is one of the ways I get inspiration. Because mm-hmm. I just, I like to talk to different people, even if they seem like they have nothing to do with my business. Or sometimes you'll just find that there's like a little germ of an idea. Yeah somebody has or you find out that they're job hunting and that oh my god I could connect you with somebody <laughs> you know what I mean yeah absolutely and I yeah. do that quite often too it's oh I actually just talked to somebody who's looking for somebody like you done uh-huh. so that's what it means to me what does it mean to you because you said you're also
0: yeah so I've always I always I sound very intuitive so again so if I'm speaking to somebody it's almost sometimes I've jumped ahead in the conversation a little bit it's almost like I can feel what's coming next for that person I also connect the dots. So I, I'm the same as you. If I have a conversation with somebody, I would also, oh, I've just spoken to somebody and, and also do it that way. But because my career has been here, there and everywhere. And I think when you get to a certain point in your life, you can look back and see how the, all the dots connect but when you start out on that journey, you can't necessarily see where you're heading. It's that's only when you're at a certain point that you can look back and go, actually, that's why I went there. And that's helped me get to here. And this has really helped me in this situation. But what I think it can do midway life is actually give you some clues to actually what's coming further down the line. So I like to try and connect the dots of the picture that is emerging in the future Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting that you'd said that. And that was something that I've always done intuitively, I would say, but not realized I was doing it, I suppose, until much later on when you can join those dots up a little bit more.
1: Yeah, I I think that's right. Because I didn't really realize that it was like, such a superpower skill. I think it is. Yeah. I think I it think is. it is too. And I, I actually think people can learn. It's one of those things that when you start to put yourself in situations where you're meeting interesting people and you're doing things you haven't done before and you're trying new things, you do start to do it naturally and it's like a muscle. I think mm-hmm. if you work at it, it becomes easier and easier to make those connections.
0: I also think you need to be open to it though as well. Cause I think everything there's probably things that we can see at all points in time, serendipitous things, but I think if we're not receptive to it or we're not yeah. open to seeing them, then we're just not going to see them. So I think it's been yes, op- that's op- open to that power as well. I think everybody yeah. has probably got it on some level, but I found a fellow superpower dot, dot connector, so that's <laughs> lovely. <laughs> so just going back to your career, can you identify that exact moment when you shifted to the company you have now? I know we've talked a little bit about it. That again was serendipitous, wasn't it, in terms of that meeting that you had with your business partner? That's quite a leap of faith, isn't it? You've just met them for the first time, you've got on with them. They're really like your dog, great. But actually now I'm gonna start a business with this person. How how do you do that? How is it an, again, is it an intuition type thing or is it a bit more that needs to go on from a business mind point of view, crossing all the I T's think and it things? It
1: starts with intuition for uh-huh. sure. There's gotta be that initial feeling of, Okay, this is interesting, it feels like it could be great. But from there, we had several more conversations, obviously. Mm-hmm. So then it became okay if we were to partner together, what does that actually look like? How are we going to fund the business? What percent of the business are you going to have versus you get into those conversations mm-hmm. and assuming that you can work all that out. Cause sometimes those are the things that will derail the whole thing because you can't align. And one person thinks, wait a minute, I've been doing this for this long. So I'm worth X and you know, you, you all those, those things. So we were able to work through all that pretty seamlessly. And and then it was really about sharing the vision. Do we have the same vision? Can we align on what we're creating? And if the answer is yes, then then it makes a lot of sense. So it it's not just like your gut telling you do it and then you jump in. I think you got to do your due diligence to make sure that the yeah. partnership is solid because I see a lot of, I've had this experience now working with startups over the last few years. I've worked with about a dozen of them and I've seen a number of them have issues with the founder relationship where they are not on the same page. They didn't do that work up front. One founder has a vision of the company being one thing going in one direction. And the other founder has a vision of the company going in a different direction. And it's impossible. Like you're never going to be successful if you don't even know what you're building.
0: Yeah. Let's lean into that a little bit then. So the whole vision and values aspect of starting a business, when I looked at your HMS Beagle, you've got the whole theme around ships and there's a clear storytelling going on in, in the marketing. Is that something that you feel at like your core, building cultures and visions and values of organizations is something that is really important to you?
1: Uh, I enjoy that and I've done mm-hmm. it for a lot of companies. So it's fun to do it for yourself. So that's what I've enjoyed because I've spent a lot of time helping other companies figure some of that out. And I will say it's a lot harder to do it for a company that's been in business for 50 years or a hundred years or even mm-hmm. five years or two years because they have behaviors and things in place that don't always align with what they say they want to do. And then you're trying to change something and it depends on the size of the organization. Yeah. I was helping, when I was at J. Walter Thompson, I was helping J&J Johnson & Johnson try to, mm-hmm, you know, yeah. reframe their whole approach to marketing. And it was incredibly difficult because- yeah, where, where do you start with that? Right. <laughs> a company such as that? Yeah, that must be. Even within J. Walter Thompson, right? Like me heading up the headquarters there, getting J. Walter Thompson to change and evolve was incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of gravity and there's a lot of system thinking that just pulls you down and back to the way things always were. And you have to constantly be fighting that. So I do think It's a lot easier when you're starting something from scratch and you have a blank piece of paper. It's daunting for some people because they don't know what to write on the piece of paper, but Mm -hmm. you have to force yourself to have that discipline to do that up front because then it just makes everything else easier. Like I said, you're not trying to unravel it later. You're not trying to change culture. You're not trying to get people to behave differently. You're just putting it in place from the get-go And then I I am a fan, even though it can be a little cheesy of using symbols or analogies, Mm -hmm. or if you want to think of archetypes for the HMS Beagle, it is very nautical. And a lot of our language and the way we talk about brand positioning fits into that. And for Masami, it's very much a Japanese Zen, Mm -hmm. but with a little bit of an East meets West attitude and knowing your voice is really important because that way, you know, you're speaking from a place of authenticity i think
0: yeah for founders and as ceos of companies it's easy to do that from an individual level i think when you start getting to bigger corporate companies and you've got 10 20 30 however many people around in the boardroom who've all got their own idea of what that company is then and they're all throwing ideas into the melting pot how can that ever be what the company is about if it's just people who've been there for six months or been there for do you know what I mean it just seems yeah I mean I don't know where I'm going with that thought but it just seems like it would be an impossible task to ever get what that company is about at its core or rebrand at that point in time because there's so many people who are invested in that company for whatever reason but when you're starting out you've got that blank slate you can do whatever
1: you want to do No, I think that's true. And I I think it is really hard with big organizations. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times what ends up happening is you end up just deciding, okay, who are the stakeholders? It's these 10 people are going to get in a room and hash Mm -hmm. it out. But inevitably, there are people that feel left out, not all the stakeholders, even though they may align, ultimately on the vision, they may not really agree. So it, it is really hard. But I find that the most effective rebrands or culture shifts happen when the CEO is a respected mm-hmm. successful CEO and really drives the change from the top and the yeah. bottom, mm-hmm. kind of sandwiches it. Like yeah. that usually works the best. If the CEO is somebody that people don't like and the CEO is telling you this is what we're doing, then forget it doesn't work. Because yeah. people just ignore they just they'll just ignore it. And I've seen that a few times too where For whatever reason, the CEO is just not somebody that people love. And so Mm -hmm. they just don't want to get behind, even though they may love their job and they may love the company. So it's really tricky. It's hard for these bigger companies for sure. And look at how many now are going out of business, right? Mm -hmm. We all knew retail was challenged, the retail industry. But now when you look at, oh boy, at least in the US, it's like the number of stores closing. Oh no, it's the same. same in the UK. Yeah. 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 So it's just hard, I think. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: So in all of those journeys then, can you identify maybe one life lesson that you would want to share with our listeners today?
1: I would say the biggest lesson would be surround yourself with the right people. I think that is one of the most crucial things you can do to be successful. And when I say the right people, people that share your values, mm-hmm. people that are on the same page as you on the, in terms of the mission, and then people that are complimentary, which we talked about earlier, but that have capabilities that will take you further And when you build that team, then you're pretty much unstoppable, I think. Oh, and the other thing, I'll just give one more, is find a mentor. That's the other thing. At any age, people always need someone to bounce stuff off of. And I always say to people, like, you're not in this alone. You should have a network of, it it can even be two, three, four, five mentors. It doesn't just have to be one person, but that's important too, to just have a sounding board and somebody that can question you, that you trust, so you're not gonna just ignore it. But somebody who can try to play devil's advocate and poke holes and that's helpful.
0: Yeah, I love that. So I've managed uh, programs previously where we've had uh, mentoring events for women um, specifically. And actually, it doesn't have to necessarily be somebody who's ahead of you in your journey. You can actually, speaking to younger women or totally different perspectives can be so eye-opening and just give you some insight that you would never have got to on your own. Has there been something that's been calling you, do you think, throughout all of this time? to bring
1: you to the point that you are today? I don't know. I just think people are motivated in their lives by different things. And I'm somebody that is super motivated by being really productive, much to my husband's uh, dismay. (laughs) (laughs) But I like to get shit done and I like to move things forward and I like to see things be created and made and built. So I think that sort of inner desire of to do that, kind of led to this natural evolution, which of course, as you said, like in hindsight seems more obvious. It does when you're in it. But the idea of creating my own thing is a natural evolution of, well, I was doing it for other people. So why would I not do it for myself? Uh And that's what I really enjoy. So it makes sense.
0: In terms of your journey again, so we all have kind of these skills and experience that we amass over the course of our Journeys and one of the reasons why I started the podcast was really to help people see that we have these skills and experience because I don't think we're as human beings we're not always that good at shouting about what we're good at or we shy away from that a little bit. But is there something that you would say are your superpowers? We've mentioned one of your superpowers already, but would you say there's something else that you'd want to share?
1: I I would say I have two, I would say the dot connecting for sure. But I would also say building high-performing teams is my other one. I'm very good at assessing talent, but not just Mm -hmm. based on what people have done, but based on potential, Yeah, seeing what people could do, and then putting them in a position where they can do it. And I think that's something people can learn. I think it is a little bit intuitive, but I think you can learn how to be better at that. And I think that's a really helpful tool when you can do that because- there are so many dysfunctional teams that get in the way of progress. So if you can actually build a team that works really well together, that mm-hmm. supports each other, that people feel motivated and inspired, then you know, you're going to be way ahead of the curve, I think. That's another great superpower to have.
0: Mm. Amazing teams and people around us. We've already talked really about marketing, haven't we? And the, and the and what you're doing currently in terms of getting
1: your message out there. Is there anything else that you'd want to share with our listeners? I would just say uh, to anyone who's thinking of starting a company or has a business, or don't be afraid to experiment.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: we're on a number of emerging platforms. Whether it's Cargo, we're on Spin Live, we're on Talkshop Live, we're on Spocket, we're on a bunch of platforms that some of them are live streaming some of our some of them are connecting influencers with brands but i would say even if you don't fully understand it try some of these things out because you never know what's going to stick and i don't any of us has a crystal ball to figure out where marketing is going to really land in two years or five years i think we have some ideas but i think i think experimentation is super helpful and important for, especially if you're a small brand and you can do that. You don't have processes that get in the way or bureaucracy that bogs you down. Yeah. You try some things. I think that's very helpful. Yeah, and get somebody else to do the analytics if you're not sure how and to, get somebody to, else to do it. It's exactly, <laughs> that's my approach, but yeah. And then decide like which things are working for you and lean in harder. We've been doing Talk Shop Live, which is basically like a QVC online type format. Right, where you can live pitch your business. And I like it because it's, again, like we can tell the whole story. My co-founder, James, is our face. So he goes on and he does these live streams every week. But they're also recorded on the site. So you can literally log into TalkShop Live and see a number of Masami videos and then buy the products. But I like it because it sounds like hair care would be a no-big-deal purchase. But for a lot of women... It's not. It's actually, they, they have a lot of concerns. They don't want to buy a product that's not going to work for them. Mm-hmm. Our research tells us they need to see our message seven times before they commit. So the more we can tell them about it and shortcut those seven times, the better. Yeah. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what's next for Masami and you, what's coming up for you in the future?
1: We've got a bunch of stuff in the hopper. We just started marketing our products in Australia with a partner called The Natives Company, which I'm really excited about. They're a clean beauty retailer. We're also expanding into Europe and uh, the Middle East and Russia through a distributor. Wow. Yeah. And we're also creating our next products in the pipeline we have three products in our innovation pipeline that we're working on that James is all over and we're hoping to launch early next year so we're busy exciting
0: (laughs) yeah do you want to say anything about the products that you've currently got out there at the minute in terms of what's available for
1: people to try yeah so we've got a shampoo it's low foam as I mentioned Um, a conditioner a shine serum and a styling cream they're all gender neutral with a light fresh scent so it's Mm -hmm. not overwhelming we have actually about 40 percent of our purchasers are men Men love our styling cream. It's interesting. And our products are all vegan, cruelty-free. As I said, no sulfates, parabens, phthalates. Yeah, and we, all, we also have a travel kit. So if somebody wants to try, but they don't want to commit to a full-size product, you can mm-hmm. you order the travel sizes and just try the products before getting into the big ones.
0: That sounds great. Where can people find out more about your product? online? Sure.
1: Yeah, we're, our website is lovemasme.com. L-O-V-E-M-A-S-A-M-I. And our social handles um, across everything, it's Love masami Hair. So that's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, YouTube. Yeah.
0: You're on TikTok as well. I've not even ventured. I, I watched well, TikTok, but I haven't ventured into TikTok. Land. I
1: posted a couple videos there, <laughs> but we're not really on it. We have an account and I have three videos on there, but we're not doing, <laughs> we're not actively like TikTokking. I don't
0: think I'm going to venture yeah you never know maybe it's been lovely to have you on the show today Lynn thank you so much for being here it's been a really interesting conversation I look forward to seeing you online and trying your
1: products in the future amazing thanks for having me
0: Okay, everybody, I really hope you enjoyed today's show. As promised, for all of our listeners, Lynn has kindly offered to give our listeners a discount code on her amazing hair care products. So to grab that, all you need to do is go to visualiseyou.com forward slash Masami, that's M-A-S-A-M-I, and enter the words "Visualize You." at the checkout and that's visualise with an s at the checkout all of the details are in the show notes and uh, thank you Aline so much for offering that to our listeners today hey friend thank you so much for listening to the visualize you show if you enjoyed this episode then why not subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and if you would like to be with a chance to win 12 months access to the Visualize and thrive business club lounge then simply tag me and the show anywhere you like on your social media. Simply use the hashtag Visualize You Show. And if you catch my eye, then you could be sitting in the lounge next month. So until next time, remember to visualize you.